1: Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like McLoad because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at mcloadvulture.com slash courtside LDA 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. They say a gentleman always keeps his word, but I can't repeat any of the words that the weed-dealing, gambling, murdering aristocrats say in The Gentleman. Guy Ritchie's first TV show ever, only on Netflix, based on his award-winning film, The Gentleman series stars Theo James, my guy from White Lotus, and a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out, pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Check out Off the Pike with Brian Barrett. He is going to be covering this Emei Adoka story on the Celtics. I'm going to talk about it in a second on this podcast, but he's going to be covering that over the next few days as that keeps going. He also had Alex Gore on the podcast this week. Excellent interview with him. Go check that out. Uh, don't forget to check out the Ringer Gambling Show as well. We'll be doing some great stuff on that. I love the East Coast Bias Show on Tuesdays with uh, House and JJ and Raheem the Dream. On this podcast... We're gonna talk about the NBA stuff at the top. What's happening with the Celtics? What's happening with the Suns? Then Peter Schrager's gonna come on and we're gonna bat around some possible million dollar picks, followed by Ben Solak. And that's the pod. I wish I wasn't taped at the top of it, but we're gonna to have to do it. So let's do it. Let's bring in Pearl Jam. <laughs> Okay, taping the top of the podcast here is Thursday afternoon, mid-afternoon Pacific time. Wanted to wait as long as possible to weigh in on the Ime Doka story because it was a developing story. Could not suss out what was true and what wasn't true. There was a rumor late morning that he might actually just resign and that this was going to end. So I really wanted to wait. Chris Haynes, our friend, just reported that he's not going to resign, that he is going to await sanctions from... The team for this, uh, I guess, is this is a scandal. This is he had a consensual affair with somebody that worked for the team, and we don't know all the dynamics of it yet. But we do know that this led to him, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, potentially being suspended for this season, which would be um, one of the most memorable, bizarre, and uh, and honestly, saddest suspensions that we've had in NBA history. You think about Udoka in, in June. He's on the top of the world. He's got a unanimous approval rating with the city, with the players, with the organization, with the league. He's just in an amazing situation. He screwed it up and he screwed it up for you know, a reason that we've seen with people in power over and over again where um, they just can't help themselves. And you would have thought over the last five years, especially as we all, I mean, we, everybody has just gotten a lot better and a lot smarter about how to behave, especially if you're in a position of power, trying to learn from mistakes of previous generations and some terrible people. And um, it's just surprising that he would get in a situation like that and that he would risk the incredible position that he was in and continues to be in. My thought when I heard the story, especially as it was unfolding, was that he was going to have to resign. I couldn't see a roadmap to somebody being suspended for up to a year and then just coming back and coaching. Like we saw it with Alex Gore with the Red Sox. That was a different scenario, obviously. He got um, suspended because of his role with the Houston Astros, the cheating scandal that they had. He had to go away for a year. He came back. It was a little bit weird at first. But ultimately, you know, it was a mistake. I think people moved on and I think everybody forgot about it. by mid April. This is going to be a little bit tougher to forget and to move on from, especially because I don't know you're the coach of the team, you're the leader, you're the face of the organization. And that's, you know, one of the things that was at stake here, he had a chance to be the face of this organization. It was already kind of happening. You know, you go back to when I was a kid, it was Red back. And then they tried to make it Rick Pitino. That didn't really fly. And then it was a combo of Doc Rivers and Danny Ainge and the owner, Rick Grossback, and eventually Brad Stevens, I think became a face to a large degree of just, I'm talking non-players. And then it really felt like it was Ime, And he was having such a dramatic impact with the young players, with professionalism, um, Kind of how harsh he was in a good way with those guys um, and just the way he carried himself. I really developed a ton of respect and admiration for him as the season went along. And, you know, he was important not just to that team getting over the hump, but um, he was important to the city. He was a black head coach, a proud, awesome character guy. Um, in a city that has certainly had a checkered history over the years dating back to the Russell era that I thought that piece was sorely needed like he really embraced it there was something different about him He kept hearing the word special 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 and he was great at his job and i I think you know everyone makes mistakes you know I, I'm probably more forgiving than others with stuff like this because I do especially if he can come out and apologize and serve the time and 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 stuff like that and come back and try to rebuild his life and whatever happened to him and his family like everybody should have a chance to do that um i just wonder can you can you coach a team after that can you hold that level of responsibility not just with your players but with everybody in the organization we haven't really been in this situation before so you think where he was in june to where he is now it's it's really a, a stunning fall for that's the only word i can think of this is a fall of somebody who was in an amazing position just a few months ago. So that's one thing. There was the sorted side of social media, which is continuing to happen, that this was just the worst we have to offer. The message board era, the the Twitter era, just people doing sleuthing, people posting pictures of, of employees and playing the guessing game and the rumor mills going around. And it was really awful. And there was a couple of people that I'm sure I really hope they weren't searching for their names last night. But, um, you know, you think we're getting better with this stuff. And and then you see something like how the last 24 hours played out. And we're clearly people going on the masthead trying to guess, like, what are we doing? So that part of the story was super ugly. I don't think the Celtics helped it that much because you have the Woj tweet initially where they say something happened. And he's going to get suspended. And your mind quickly goes to, well, it's either involve sex or gambling or who knows. But you you figure it's gonna be bad when he wouldn't even say what happened. And then Shamsharani came in probably an hour later and said that, no, no, this is a consensual relationship with somebody who worked for the team. Um so you you your head goes to from the worst possible places to the place of ugh All right, and then it's human nature to think, all right, I wonder who it was, but man, did the, we went to 17 levels of awful last night and today, and that was awful, and then, you know, from a Celtic standpoint, which you have to talk about this off season that they had, which I know a lot of people probably documented today, including uh, off the pike with Brian Barrett, but they go from, they're up 2-1 in the finals, they're on top of the world, they blow the finals, the KD trade rumors happen almost immediately. Jalen Brown gets thrown in there. The organization never really comes out and says there's no way we're trading Jalen Brown. So that was lingering over the season. You had Will Hardy, the top assistant for uh, Udoka. He leaves. He gets poached by Danny Ainge, the old GM, which they never kind of slammed the door on Danny. They never got draft pick compensation for him. And they left the door open for stuff like that, where he has a lot of connections in Boston. And if somebody's good, he's going to take him. So Will Hardy would have been the one coaching this team for as long as Udoka's out, and now he's in Utah. So there's a bunch of possible candidates on the coaching staff. None of them are as good as Will Hardy, I'll tell you that much. You have Danielle Gowanari, they sign. They also trade for Malcolm Brogdon, everyone's excited. Well, Gallo tears his ACL, he's out for the year. You have Robert Williams, who looks like his... Uh, his knee surgery that he had last year looks like they had to redo that. So now he's going to miss the start of the season. Now they don't have a head coach. And I think if you were looking where the Celtics were in June, they were at least a top three, you would want that team's future team in the league. Every arrow is pointing up. You get to build around Tatum and Brown and all these guys under great contracts. They still have assets to trade, they have an organization that's going to spend money. They've gotten all this finals and playoff experience. Like everything is pointing up, every arrow. And now it's looking a lot shakier. I mean, they they were the favorites, I think, at one point to win the title or at least the East on FanDuel. And now, you know, I'm sure everybody's going to think, well, Milwaukee, maybe Philly, maybe Brooklyn can get it together. There's turmoil that you just never could have guessed where in June, it's good vibes everywhere and even they lose. And it was one of those kind of losses where you think, all right, well at least there were some positives. Like these guys got all this experience, they know they can play with these guys, et cetera, et cetera. And the last piece of this, which is something I've been writing about and talking about for a long time is the whole concept of windows. And I remember I wrote about this with the James Harden trade 10 years ago, actually almost to the day. Um, NBA teams get in the habit sometimes of thinking the window's gonna last forever that people are going to stay healthy, that nothing weird is going to happen, that nobody's going to become unhappy. You know, and I always think the default team, I always think of this was was the 86 Rockets with Samson and Olajuwon, where they just destroyed the Lakers in the Western finals. Like the last four games, they just ran roughshod and it felt like the league had shifted and the Showtime Lakers were dead. And we were moving toward Hakeem and Ralph. And now it was a Twin Towers era. And you you had to have Twin Towers to battle Houston. The Celtics had Michael and Parrish and Walton. And it was like, this is the future of the league. You have to be big. And, you know, Samson gets hurt. They Houston has a cocaine scandal. And it's over immediately, you know. And over and over again, we've seen that teams that have these windows that they think are going to last for a long time, OKC is one of the great examples. You know, you have Durant, you have Westbrook, you have Harden, you have Serge Ibaka. Um, It just seems like, oh my God, this team, how many titles are they gonna win? Look at Miami with the not one, not two, not three. And then within four years, LeBron's gone. So you just never know. And I remember saying this to, I think it was Rusillo, we were talking about on a podcast, when it seemed improbable that the Celtics could win a title, you know, last year. And then all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, they're in the finals. Oh my God, they're up 2-1 against the Warriors. They might actually win the title. It's kind of, kind of ahead of schedule, but let's embrace this. And I remember saying to Rosillo, I feel like they have to grab this window. It's weird to say that a team that is built around young players and has such a young core as a window, but you just never know in the NBA. And they ended up not getting it done. And the natural reaction is to think, ah, well, we got plenty of years with these guys and Tatum and, you know, two years from now is when Tatum's going to peak as a player and all this stuff. But this is what happens. This is what happens in the league. You just never know. And I think for the Celtics, this is, these last three to four months here have qualified under the, you just never know. You never know what's going to happen. You never know when you have your window to win a title. Um, You never know when you have your window to be great. It's been compromised today with the Adoka story. It's an ugly story, it's a sad story, and uh, there's just no positives out of this. So those are all my thoughts on the Celtic situation. And then the other thing I wanna talk about was the Suns. So Adam Silver takes a ton of crap last week for um, suspending Robert Sarver for a year and for handling it the way he did. And I think there was an erroneous way that people were talking about that story. You can't make somebody sell an NBA franchise. I know we love to think in this world that should work more perfectly than it does for all these different reasons, that if you have an owner that clearly needs to go, we could just make them go, you can't. Whether it's an NFL owner, an NBA owner, it's a whole different game to get somebody to leave. When it happened with Donald Sterling and the Clippers in 2014, he, he revisionist history of that is that they made him sell they didn't make him do anything they really didn't if he didn't want to sell he didn't he didn't have to sell what happened was you had the city and you had his ex-wife and you had a bunch of people in his life pushing him to get out and you had big money offers from Not just Steve Ballmer, but Rick Caruso, who's a a billionaire out here, is running for mayor, coincidentally right now. And and I think there was one other one, but the money was at, you know, one, six, one, seven. Ballmer goes to one, eight. And the ex-wife was pushing him to do it. They're probably, who knows, maybe, maybe telling him, you know, if, if you don't do this, some other stuff might come out. Who knows? The ex-wife, Shelly Sterling, ended up with courtside seats out of the deal. And I think that's an important piece of this. She was really, really pushing him to sell and she wanted to get something out of it. And she did. And they got him to sell, but he didn't have to. And I think that's a really important piece with this Suns thing. Adam Silver had to basically this he's playing 3D chess. You he had to take the hits last week for a couple of days, make it seem like, oh my God, why Adam is so light on this? And then the players come out. Well, if you think this wasn't a whole bunch of people orchestrated this, including like when LeBron James and Chris Paul come out against Sarver, if you don't think that that wasn't coordinated with the league, um, I have a leg to pull for you. All Everybody wanted the same end game. They wanted this guy to sell. So how do you do that? You have the most visible players in the league come at him. You have sponsors pull out. You have other owners lobbying him like, Hey, you, you know, this is, you don't want to go out this way, man. And in the rich guy circles, they had, I think a labor meeting this week and, you know, in the rich guy circles, they, they can approach that a little differently and they could be like, Hey, you know, you can make a lot of money. Just get out. What do you want to be a punching bag for? And spin it a certain way. What I heard was there was one last piece that a card that, uh, the league was going to play where MJ was going to be the last piece to come out and implore Sarver to sell. And that would have been a death blow for him and hugely embarrassing for a bunch of different reasons. Um, That never had to happen, but it was going to happen. And I think once Sarver knew that Jordan was looming after LeBron, after Chris Paul, after some of the other people, the minority owner, um, then that, that was it. So here's, Here's why this matters. Maybe this doesn't matter, but I find this stuff hugely interesting. The NBA prices, the Brooklyn Nets went for like 2.35. The arena was thrown and it was around 3.4. That was in two thousand eighteen. The Rockets went for 2.2 in 2017. The Jazz went for 2.0 in 2020. The Timberwolves went for 1.5 in 2021. And people feel like that was super low. And a lot of that had to do with the relationship with uh with the Glenn Taylor, and he just liked A-Rod. And, but, but everyone feels like that number should have been higher. I think the floor for an NBA team right now is $2 million. you have the media rights deal coming. That's going to be massive. You have expansion money coming from Seattle and Vegas. Um, none of these teams, none of the prices have gone down. Golden State paid 450 in 2010. That's probably, that might be 12-time multiple at this point. There's only eight Like truly incredible NBA franchises to own. And I'm going to give you the list. A couple of them are obvious. The Lakers, the Knicks, the Warriors, the Bulls, the Celtics, the Mavericks. I would throw in the heat because of the organization they built, the location, the fact that they've always been able to get good players, and the fact that there's just a ton of money in South Beach. That's seven. And then the Suns are the eighth. Now, what's interesting about that? The Suns are the only one that's going to be available out of those eight. So you're talking, you think about, I wrote about this once in 2014. You think about owning an NBA team, and this is why my case for the Clippers to go for, I think I was predicting 1.8. It actually went higher than that. Everyone thought I was crazy. You've, you've, you have an island, and there's 30 houses on the island, and all the rich people want to be on that island. And then there's eight houses that are way better than every other house on the island. The Suns are one of those eight houses. And by the way, the Clippers aren't one of the eight houses and neither are the Nets because they're the second tier teams in those cities. Why are the Suns one of the eight teams? Well, you're in Arizona. You own your own arena. Phoenix is you know, a, a, a rich guy mecca. People retire there. There's better state tax stuff there. Incredible fans. You have a whole history. You got Devin Booker in place. But the big thing, is it's an hour from LA and it's an hour and a half from, from the Bay Area. So you can pull in every rich guy from those two spots and they could just fly in and be the owner of the team. So you have that. Here's the other thing. There's an ego tax when you buy these teams. And I would call this the Joe Lacob corollary. I've talked about this before, but I'll do it again. Joe Lacob buys the Warriors. Nobody knows who the fuck he is. He's a minority owner in the Celtics. He's just one of many rich people in the world. Nobody knows who he is. Buys the Warriors. Curry's career takes off. All of a sudden, the Warriors become a thing. Guess who becomes one of the coolest people in the Bay Area? Joe Lacob. Guess who's rubbing shoulders with Eddie Q and the CEO of Reddit and name the CEO of uh, Salesforce. Name, Name... a super rich person in the city with the most rich people. And Lacob is kind of in some ways the king of that whole world and remains the king. And now everyone knows who he is. And he can walk around, he can get a phone call from anybody, and get a meeting from anybody. He's pulling the strings in a lot of different ways because he bought that stake. So because of that, and because all of these other rich people see what's going on with that, when a team becomes available, They're like, this is great, right? Um, This this is, I I already have enough money. I have houses. I have boats. I have the money to do whatever I want. What I don't have is people telling me how cool I am because what do they care? I'm just another rich guy. So they look at a team like the Suns and it's like, I'm the king of Arizona if I buy that team. I'm sitting courtside. They're mentioning me on TV. Now everyone in my life is like, hey, that guy. So you have to have a 30% ego tax for any of these other teams. So I'm throwing in the ego tax. I am throwing in the fact that this is one of the eight franchises you'd want. And I'm throwing in the proximity to LA and the Bay Area too, but really LA. That opens the door wide for all of these different types of people to buy it. Here's the other thing. We know Sarver owns between 30 to 35%. So if you're doing this in the right way, you're just buying his controlling stake. And you're evaluating that at whatever, you're evaluating the team as a whole. And then it's a 35% stake of that 30% whatever Sarver owns. And that's what you pay Sarver. Some of these franchises have what's called like, I think it's called a a tag or a drag where Sarver can make the other minority owner sell if he wants, or he can just say, you know what, I'll take my 35% and leave. I think that's what people think is going to happen here. So the thing to watch with the NBA is this evaluation is going to go way higher than people think? And remember, I told you this with the Clippers eight years ago, and I'm telling you now, the Suns are going to be evaluated over $4 million. Mark my words. I am telling you, you can throw it in my face if I'm wrong. I am not going to be wrong. I think it could get close to five. I think it will be in the four-five to five range, which means if somebody's buying the Robert Sarver controlling stake, then they have to cut him a check for one and a half million. Let's say it's evaluated at four or five and he owns 33% of the team. Sarber gets one and a half billion. Here's my controlling stake. All that matters is the controlling stake. That means you're the guy. Like Lacob doesn't own 100% of the Warriors. He's got a ton of of investors. That, That son's evaluation will be four or five or higher. I'll say four or five to be safe, but I honestly would not be surprised if it was five. And once that happens, all hell is going to break loose in the NBA. And you're going to have a bunch of owners looking around going, wait a second, I can get that. And then it becomes a question of, what is this worth to me? You know, let's say if you're in your mid-60s or your late 60s and you're seeing a little bit of an endgame, you want to wind down, you don't want to, you don't feel like you're devoting as much as you used to owning the team. Like somebody like Cuban, he's owned the, the Mavs for, I don't know, since 2000. He's in his sixties now, and I don't think he'll sell. But he'll wonder about it if he's like shit. These things are going for more than four billion now. So you have that. You have Charlotte that's going to become available, which you know you would have tied them to something close to the Minnesota price. But now who knows? And then you have the expansion money. And if it's Vegas and Seattle, which is going to be, I'm. T- I've told you in January. I'm going to keep telling you those are the two expansion teams. And I had heard initially it was going to be six and a half to seven billion combined for those two teams. And then they wouldn't be able to participate in the media rights for a couple of years. If this Suns thing goes the way I think and I know it's going to go, now the price for those expansion teams is four billion and up. And that means we're even more likely to have expansion. We have this huge media rights still coming. We have franchises skyrocketing and you have a lot of people just kind of kicking the tires, <laughs> wondering, wondering, uh, how do I get in? How do I get one of these 30 houses on the island? So watch the Suns thing because the more money that pours into the ownership side and the more money that pours in from a meteorite side, the more money that's going to go to the players, the money thing in the NBA is going to actually become, I, I don't even know how it's going to work. We're going to have guys making $80 million a year we're gonna have owners selling their teams for four billion. I, it just feels like things are going haywire, and um, I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. But my prediction, going on the record, the Suns, I'm gonna say four seven. That's what Sarver's stake will be evaluated at now. The, the other thing with this, so, so I heard Bob Iger was being rumored as as buying the Suns. Bob Iger doesn't have the money to buy the Suns. Even if he put together the greatest group possible, if that Sarver's the only real chance he has is if he's just trying to buy the Sarver stake and he's doing it with a whole conglomerate. So let's say the Sarver stake costs one six. Bob Iger doesn't have 1.6 billion. He could p- maybe put together a group that where he puts in, I don't know, 200, 250. And then has the controlling interest of it, that everybody, uh, he's got 20 other people just for that controlling interest, but now you have a board of directors and the sons that has like 50 people involved. It's way more likely it's just one person trying to buy out Sarver stake who just has the money and can write the check, right? Like they're, they're, I'll give you an example. There's somebody, his name is Matt Ishbia. He used to play for Tom Izzo and and he's a rich guy right? He made all of his money. He's based in Michigan. He's a mortgage lender. Um, And he's got a lot of money and he played basketball. That's somebody that could just write a check for the Sarver thing, right? That's somebody that could write a check for another team. There's a lot of Matt Ishbia type guys out there right now. And I think that's, I think the NBA knows it. I think that's why they've waited on the expansion I think that's why Adam played this Phoenix Suns thing so carefully because um, he had to land the plane on this in a way that they got Sarver out of the league, which was the most important thing. Um, and they're able to put the right person in there while also blowing up the value of the franchise. Because Glenn Taylor, that wasn't great for the league that they only sold for 1-5. They want the big price. And again, The franchises are the Lakers, the Knicks, the Warriors, the Bulls, Celtics, Mavs, Heat, Suns. There's only eight that are like the prime houses on the island. And this might be the last time for like 10 years one of the houses become available. So my final prediction, I'm including in the building and everything that comes with the Suns, I'm going to say 4.4 billion. I'll go slightly conservative. 4.4 billion for the Suns. That is my prediction. I'm on the record. We'll be back with Peter Schrager right after this. Football season is underway, so now is the perfect time to download Fando America's number one sports book Right now, new customers getting no sweat. First bet up to $1,000. Free bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, sign up with promo code BS. We're going to do a million dollar picks later today. I will just tell you, Bill's Chiefs as a parlay is going to be involved. I think that We're going to go into the reasons why that might be the no-brainer bet of the year. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the Moneyline to point spreads to player props. With live betting, you'll get updated odds on games that have already started. And when you win, you get paid fast. So sign up today with promo code BS for your no-sweat first bet. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Check out FanDuel TV too. You must be 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued is non withdrawable free bets That expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, Peter Schrager is here from the NFL Network and from Fox. He's here every week. He is in New York where we are planning a Subway World Series. <laughs> and what, what, is the, what is the Subway Super Bowl called? What do we call that? I yeah, guess what the do Waste Management it? Bowl. <laughs> That's
2: right. And it's perfect. Waste Management is usually in Arizona. The golf tournament the same weekend. That's perfect, dude. That is perfect. Uh, it is crazy. The Jets win in this miraculous fashion based on this wild Browns meltdown. Uh, I've watched the game back. It was on NFL Network. The craziest visual of the Browns, like, mother, Stefanski's coaching. And there are children... With credentials behind him, ready to like celebrate on the field while this meltdown's going on, I-, I think it's Haslam's grandkids. They're all wearing Brown's jerseys, and Stefanski's having like the greatest coaching meltdown you've ever seen on the sideline, like watching it di- like in front of him, like a train wreck.
1: And oh, there's just man. kids,
2: kids there, and like Watson and and, uh, and like Amari Cooper jerseys, like smiling. Like, like, can we go on the field yet? No, no, you can't go on the field right now. Um, that aside, I work in Lower Manhattan. It's all like the Wall Street guys, they, you know, Jamie Diamond and uh, DJ Solomon, the, the 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 DJ from Goldman Sachs, who's now the CEO. Like, they have those guys in now five days a week, so it's a lot of activity in Lower Manhattan. And it's you'd think the Jets and Giants are headed to the Super Bowl based on just uh, three wins in the first two weeks. Jets fans are delusional; they're all very excited about the two rookies, obviously. But the Giants fans are like convinced that not only is Dable the man, but they got something this year. Like, Forget the rebuild. Like, We're good this year, which I, I got to appreciate. It's been so long since there's been any positivity in the city for both those football teams.
1: Yeah. The, I mean, the Jets, that was the craziest win anyone's had in 20 years. It's the all-time, we had no business stealing this game game. The good thing for them is how good Garrett Wilson looked in that game. I mean, if awesome. I'm a Jets fan, I'm like, wow, we might have a guy, like a real, like legitimate franchise receiver. The Giants, I think, You know, the NFC East is a little more wide open. I'm not going to overreact too much to that Philly-Minnesota game. They The coach, It's Sal and I talked about this on Sunday. It really seems like they hit the jackpot with the coach. And I think, foundationally, I would probably be a little more excited if I was a Giants fan. There's a roadmap to the playoffs. Uh, You got Barkley going again, even though he can leave as a free agent. But in general, it just feels like both teams, at least the arrow is... I don't know if it's pointing up, but at least it's not pointing like straight down for the first <laughs> yeah. time since when? Five years? Yeah. Look, the Giants, they
2: they went on the boat when they played Green Bay, like the week beforehand. That was in 2016. McAdoo was the coach. That's the last time either team's been to the playoffs. Last time either team's been relevant. Uh, you know, and Dable, it's funny. It's like he's really good with the with the guys. Like they really like him, and there's a positivity in the building. And you saw him dancing after week one, and everyone was like, Oh, that's cool, but like that's real. He's also yeah. really good with the fans, like little things, like shows up the first press conference and he's in a giant like truck, like a guy's guy truck. And that's so like whatever. But the videos catch that and they're like, all right, we like that. He's, you know, giants, like munch pail guy. Then he goes to like every Rangers playoff game, New York Rangers, and they were winning all these smart. games.
1: It's so smart it's to like buy, into, buy, the other. buy into it. Belichick was doing that with the Celtics for a long time. It's very smart.
2: And it's not X's and O's stuff, but it's all that stuff. And then Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, is a wild man, sends seven blitzers every time. They they don't even play linebackers. It's crazy watching the Giants defense. It's like four defensive linemen, and then they go seven defensive backs. And Julian Love is sacking you. But here's the here's the thing I did this week. And this might be a bridge too far for me as a longtime resident and as a Giants fan growing up. Every Giants season ticket holder got an email this week from Brian Dable, which is like written by whoever. Uh, they, they all get yeah. it we need you to show up and show out Monday night and we're doing a whiteout. So we're all white, white and white. And I'm like, all right, this ain't the Phoenix Coyotes, you know, and like an opening round Western Conference. But this isn't that... I, I, I remember when the Giants... That's were embarrassing. That didn't have mascots, didn't have cheerleaders and like wouldn't have a t-shirt cannon. Yeah, you're but, not you're not the Oklahoma
1: <laughs> City Thunder Right, Giants. there you go. Just um, stop. But well, they, on FanDuel right now, the Giants are plus 112 to make the playoffs and so the Jets are plus 690. So that crazy. could do... Yeah, I mean the plus one twelve, they we're gonna have to get to seven NFC playoff teams somehow. And yeah. I don't know how we're gonna get there, but it's gonna have to happen. Minnesota took a huge hit. Let's talk we'll talk NFC really fast. San Francisco, who loses Lance on Sunday and Garoppolo comes in and you know, I said this Sunday, in my opinion, makes them more of a Super Bowl favorite. I don't know who's winning the NFC. I do think it's going to take ten weeks to shake out. But right now, on Fanduel, is Tampa Bay plus three ten, Philly five to one. They're now second with Green mm-hmm. Bay at five to one. Rams plus six fifty. I think both of us are pretty down on what we've seen so far with them. Then San Fran's plus eight fifty, Minnesota plus nine fifty, and then it drops to New Orleans seventeen to one, Arizona twenty one to one, Dallas twenty four to one. San Francisco, plus 850, 17 to 1 to win the Super Bowl with a team that really could have made the Super Bowl last year that brought a lot of people back. I, 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 gun to my head, I think that's who I would pick. I don't know if I would bet on any of those, but I, it seems like that's the best value, right? It's the best
2: value. I would think the Packers actually have good value there too, not being the yes. number one team. I feel like Green Bay, um, kind of righted some wrongs and they're going to get guys back, especially we're hoping Bakhtiari finally plays. But to San Francisco... And you feel like the
1: receivers will get better as the year goes long. Christian
2: Watson will get better the whole thing. It's funny because Watkins had 93 receiving yards. Like, all right, they found the number one. Watson and uh, the other rookie Dobbs are actually one and two in targets right now. Like, so it's not like Rod. So imagine when they suddenly get comfortable, like that's only going to increase. And I think you saw what we expected as far as the blueprint for that offense goes against Chicago, where it's it's okay to give Aaron Jones 18 touches. It's all right to give, you know, AJ Dillon 18 carries. We'll figure this out. Um, I'm curious to see how that relationship goes with him and those receivers as the season goes on. But San Francisco... Yeah, and if Francisco, he gets grumpy
1: and there's a couple shots left sure. and right. I wasn't... The front seven against the Bears worried me a little bit. But again, super early. All right, San Francisco, empty your notebook. What do you got? Fascinating
2: week in San Francisco because, give their local media credit, they will take on Kyle Shanahan. Whereas a lot of us in the national media, I included, like we're looking at the score. We're at, All right, well, Shanahan's a genius. They will take him to task. And he was very, very taken aback on Sunday night when he was asked... You know why are you running Trey Lance as often as you were running him? And do you think you are responsible for putting him in harm's way? And Shanahan was taken aback. He's like, "Do you watch any other teams? Do you watch what Buffalo does? Do you watch what the Eagles do?" Um, do it, it, Like oh, this is a running quarterback. It's what it is. That said, the amount that he has had Trey Lance running in the first two years of his career is eye popping. He, I, I think the stat that was given by Ray Rado on the radio. I was listening, you know, to a clip. I think the stat was in 13 years as a pro, Michael Vick ran the ball 13 times or more, just four times. And in the first three starts of his career, Trey Lance already had two and was on pace for 16 carries in that game. That was a wild opening quarter against the Seahawks. If you were watching that game, it was Trey Lance design, run this, Trey Lance design, run that. And the critique is not that they were running Trey Lance. It is how often he was running Trey Lance. And the end result is he snaps his ankle. It's but, We still don't know now entering week three and it's going to be the third year of Trey Lance's career. We still don't know if Trey Lance is any good. We still don't know if this vision of what Shanahan's offense was going to be, was ever going to take, but because he's injured and he's out for the year and now it's back to Jimmy. I think that the Niners are better today than they were a week ago with Trey Lance, but I think the ceiling was so high with Trey and the hope was that they were going to start getting into a flow and Trey would get comfortable and they could do some of that run stuff but it's all for not now it's Jimmy's team like it might have should have been all along Yeah, um, I think in the short term they're better but I don't know if if Jimmy gets them over the top like Trey Lance might have been able to Trey
1: Lance not uh, not Josh Allen's size just no. just want to get that out there Josh Allen man child you could do whatever you want with Josh Allen in third and three because he's going to at least do a draw against 90% of the defensive players in the league. Trey Land's not as big of a guy. I honestly, I watched a good chunk of those first two games. I don't really think they knew what to do with Trey. And I think that was why they were trying to get into his comfort zone and get him going, almost like a basketball player, trying yeah. to get him easy shots easy off shots, picks. Easy shots, right? Yep. Because they were worried about some of the other stuff. I was surprised the, the NFC West odds on FanDuel LA is plus 125 and San Francisco is plus 165. And I think part of that has to do with they have a, a game at Denver this week, Denver, who we'll talk about in one second. Um, maybe that's part of it. But if if you just told me, who do you think should be favored to win the NFC West? I would have said from what we've seen of the Rams, the Niners, like the, the Rams, Niners. their ability not to be able to finish off games and how much they're relying on cup already and. I, Stafford's looked old. I don't, he hasn't looked like, oh my God, this is Dan Marino's last year or anything like that. But I just don't think he's the same guy that we watched last year. And last year he was a little iffy too. He would have like two bad throws a game. The running game is really tough. They cannot run the ball. There is no they running They cannot game. protect the leads. Yeah, they, yeah. All of their running backs would be third, four string running backs. I think on other teams. I don't know what ha- what happened to Cam Akers. Cam Akers. All right. Tell so us. week
2: week one was a coach's decision based on the off season and who was playing best. Yeah, but best that means that camp. means something though. It means that he wasn't playing like the number one running back. and wasn't preparing like the number one running back. So okay, is the injury? It's coming off the Achilles from last year, but he played in the in the playoffs. And then they lost Karen Williams, who was not a big fantasy name, but like was going to be. They had big plans for Karen Williams, who was a rookie out of Notre Dame. He can run, catch out of the backfield. It was awesome. They put him on special teams in the first game, and within oh, five no. minutes, his ankles is sprained. He's out six to eight weeks, and it's like, okay, now you turn to Cam Akers. Like we need you to be you again. Um, he was getting more looks in week two. I, McVay loves him. It's just, I think this was one of those deals where like, hey, I've got to show you a lesson a little bit week one and now you have to rely
1: on him and let's see how he performs. That it's, it's it's not it's, good. It's not good. And well, I would that, add, and you don't have the same left tackle from last year. And I, I just think this is, I want to be able to run the ball and protect the lead. Stafford can't run the ball. So what? now it's just cup, 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 cup who's carried this workload that is honestly insane for a receiver. It's a and lot. at some point, he played 20 games last year, 21 games last year. And you're doing the same thing this year. I just think they're pushing it. I, They're, they're the car that is, you know, the <laughs> RPMs are at six with how they're doing that offense. And it, they really could have lost that Atlanta game. Like, they, they probably should have. That Jalen Ramsey mossing him on the pick, the receiver, if he jumps a second higher, I feel like he would have caught that. Atlanta was dominating that second half to the point where it was like, I don't know
2: if the Rams can get a first down here. And fortunately, their defense bailed them out. But like special teams has been atrocious for the Rams. Their defense has not been locked down by any means. They held the Falcons obviously to three points in the first half. But then just like it happened in the first week, second half, it was like, take whatever you want. So there are legitimate concerns. Two second half
1: swoons from them. No good. Both at home.
2: Both were at home. Also, Atlanta...
1: I think it's a little friskier than people realize. That was one of the games we were talking about for million dollar picks coming up later, but Atlanta minus one in Seattle. Seattle played kind of a surprise, decent first half in that Denver game. Denver shoots themselves in the foot a thousand different ways, somehow blows that game. And then in week two, Seattle looked awful. I mean, they should have been shut out. They got they got a special teams touchdown. They had nothing going offensively where what do you think? Two weeks away from DK Metcalf getting mad yeah, about not be, getting the ball or we something? We might be there already. Uh, it, I, I thought that line was going
2: to be Atlanta minus three. It's Atlanta minus one. Here's what worries you if you're a Seahawks fan. You, you get the first win, which is great, and you'll take it, and it's in your pocket, and we beat Russ and all that. They were supposed to be, hey, Rashad shot Penny, Kenneth Walker. They're 32nd yeah. in the league in rushing. They have no yeah. success on the ground. And if that's the case, you're asking Geno Smith to lead you in, through the air, and that's just not what they're built to do. So- Obviously, the the young offensive tackles, you've got two running backs that are supposed to be the strength of the team. They haven't had any success this whole season with that. So I think
1: Atlanta, though they're over. And Jamal and two, Adams goes out for Seattle, uh-oh. too. A- Adams well, is out. Devin Taylor. I, uh, yeah, so sorry, DV, DVOA, it's super early. Two games. I don't yeah. love the DVOA sample size until we get around week five, week six. Seattle's 26th in DVOA. You know what's interesting? The Rams are 29th. ninth. Really? The last four teams are Rams 29th, Chicago 30th, Indy 31, and Tennessee 32. I would have predicted the last two because I think those are the two worst teams I watched.
2: Most disappointing Um, teams for sure.
1: Yeah, but also like just not good teams. Um, The Rams being 29th was surprising. Arizona was 28th and Seattle was 26th. And you have the Niners all the way up at 10th. But the NFC West might be... Not great. And the other thing with the Rams, because they're so top heavy, it's two injuries. And all of a sudden, that's a yeah. four and 13 team because they're so relying on those, you know, seven guys that they have. Um, yeah, and, and they're playing a Super Bowl champion schedule.
2: So it's the top teams in each division. It's, you know, they've already gotten two home games out of the way. So you only have that many games. Night left. games. It's a huge team. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. And that's what we said before the season. I did not pick the Rams from the Super Bowl. And the main reason was it's really hard to do that. And I wasn't sure if this is that team that's going to do it.
1: And they barely did it last year. Where do you think Odell goes? Because there's been some... Ariel Hawani was talking about on Tuesday. There's been some eyelash batting at the Buffalo Bills. From uh, that's
2: been going Odell. on. And and he and Vaughn are really tight. Um yeah. Odell has the luxury he could wait a couple more months until he gets healthy and sign on midseason, just like he did last year. At first I thought it was going to be the Rams. Obviously, uh that was the favorite coming into the clubhouse. He, you know, breaks open the whole thing. He's at the Rams opening game as a and I love it. They had to tell the NFL that he was there for a workout so they didn't get like tampering right. charges. It's hilarious. Um but he has the luxury of waiting and looking in, in October, or November and saying, all right, who's at the top of the standings? Who do I feel good about? And I think at the end of the day, it's going to likely come down to Buffalo or
1: Los Angeles. Interesting. Um, we mentioned that. I mentioned Arizona really quick. So they it, they look like the worst team in the league. <laughs> it's an unbelievable Raiders collapse combined with Kyler just reminding people like, hey. You know, I mean, very much like Kyrie for whatever you want to say about me. Dude. I can light it up for an hour like nobody in the league. And now Arizona is playing the Rams this week. They're home. They're three and a half point underdogs. And I I I I think they're on my do not bet list. You can't you can't bet them the whole season. Let's put that in pen, in pen right now. Okay, just, so they're on the do not bet list. I agree. The I just season, wanted to I wanted to hear from you.
2: Yeah, and like you know it's so fun watching kyler when he's good it's so frustrating watching kyler when he's bad because the body language is terrible all the time like even yeah. in that game there was three things that happened that i'm like I, i'm 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 flying back from la and i'm writing it down in my little notebook for like good morning football the next day and okay, he has the delay of game on the two-point conversion and he basically flips off the sideline. sideline. You're like, bro, then Ertz doesn't run the right route. And he like, Ertz, you know, Ertz isn't going to the Hall of Fame, but Ertz is like a several-time pro bowler and a veteran in the locker room. And he like flips off Ertz, like, what are you doing running the wrong route? And then the last one, when he scores the game, you know, the touchdown that cuts it to two at the end, He's reaching the ball out at the seven yard line, like just like stretching it out like hot dog in a little bit. And you're like, no, no, Kyler, just put it under your like protect the ball. There's a chance you can get stripped.
1: Um, That throw he had to AJ Green when he traded it between like 17 people. It's like what is happening? He's so damn good. Oh. he must be so so frustrating to be on a team with to coach everything because he has that in him. And then you have Cliff, who's supposedly the offensive guru. And oh, the last hour of the game is just Kyler running around. There's no it, plays. It, they they ran 56 plays in
2: second in second half in overtime. And I spoke to Cliff afterwards, and he was like, a lot of that was just Kyler drawing it up in the dirt. And at that point, yeah. it's like, go do it. Like, and that's not a knock on Cliff. It's like, Kyler is the most dynamic player in the sport when yeah. he is in that mode. It's just, how do you get him in that mode every single week? And that might not be something that happens every week. Every single week, half. But, but when it does, the highs are so... Hi. It's you said Amazing. Kyrie Irving. I'm trying to think if there's any other football players that have been like this, where it's like when this guy but, is locked in and wants to be that guy, I don't even want sounds like I'm knocking Kyler. Like when
1: well, it's but going there, right. No, but there's there's another piece to him where especially in that half, you I had the Raiders, obviously, and they start running the play stats. And where it's a half or just the defense is on the field for a while, he wears you, and down. you can't catch him. It's like the little kid in recess who's just nobody hits tag and it's like, well, we can't tag you. And he's just running around. He's hiding under the, you know, the jungle gym and just, yeah. and he's like, well, this isn't fun anymore. We can't catch you. And that's what I felt like with Crosby and Chandler Jones, who I thought sucked in that game, but was um, yeah, they, they he, were just, exhausted. Like, he psyched them out.
2: They were dead. And then Hunter Renfro, who we give all this credit for being Mr. Possession, you know, two fumbles in that play right there is a fantastic play by the rookie Simmons Brutal. and Murphy's on the spot, but like, if you're Hunter Run and you're Mr. Possession and underneath guy, you can't fumble that ball. Like, you, How about you have to run, run the ball. How about that idea? Devontae Adams, two catches in that game.
1: Let's take a break. And then I want to play a little panic meter. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go to right now because I'm a lay beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra. Not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game. Right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at Michelobultra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Michelobultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelobultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones. But for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, Not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing, put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at McLobultra.com slash courtside LDA 21 and up. All right, Panic Meter. Cerudi loves this segment. He Saruti loves <laughs> gimmicky 19 late meters. 1980s sports radio segments, but Panic Meter's fun. Nat Hackett PI. I'm at a 10. Ben Solak wrote a long piece. Oh, I read it, and Ben's coming on after you. Uh so and I don't need to we don't need to rehash the piece is great. He also did it's his great. video series for us, laid out. These were mistakes that were horrifying to watch in real time. Like A team that didn't seem like they had a coach, like very basic, what are we going to do decisions that he just seemed woefully unprepared for has been laid out in that piece to the point that they're also on my do not bet list. I, I, you're going to have to show me for multiple weeks that there's more cohesion. What is going on? Why is this guy so seemingly over his head? I've, I've known Lindsay Jones from
2: the ringer for 20 years now. And Lindsay, anytime there's anything Denver related, like I immediately like go to her timeline and I heard her and Kevin Clark speaking earlier this week on, on Kev's podcast. And what she was saying was spot on in that there was no sarcasm. There was no irony. It was like they were helping out Russell Wilson, yelling the play clock down from, I've never seen
1: this. The fans. Yeah. It's never never happened in football history.
2: It's never happened. It wasn't sarcasm. It wasn't. For, it was like genuinely trying to help Russell Wilson with the play clock because it was so confounding. And then they're kicking a you know a sixty four yarder in Seattle, but then for McManus, in, for, and then McManus is money, and then they get the the delay of game, and from fifty nine, it's like I, we can't hit, we can't dare, you know, In have altitude, <laughs> in temper, where that's where you are supposed to kick it. So the decisions are so confounding. And a lot of it, what is about comfort,
1: the, goal to, the goal to go stuff in the first All half that stuff when he had like a minute and a half left on the clock and somehow they're scrambling and panicking. It's like, no college teams can do this. What are you guys doing? And you
2: saw Russell get frustrated for yes. like one moment, but he's he such did. a consummate, like he's such a brand and such a consummate professional that like the next time. And I think you and Sal actually mentioned it. Like when they did score, he it was overdid like it. Big, the next like, time. yeah, yeah, yo coach. Yeah, we did it. Um, Hackett's brilliant, and I know I say that, and that's going to be like you know a quote. <laughs> Schrager says Hackett's brilliant. Yeah, he's brilliant with the X's and O's and getting all that stuff. Going. I don't have any track record of Nathaniel Hackett as a game manager, and that's what head coaching is. A lot of this yes. stuff
1: is, is it's delegation and game management yes. first, and they hiring your team. They setting hired a, tone, a guy. The stuff Dayball's doing. Yes, they hired a guy who
2: I, I spoke to Hackett at the combine, and I'm like, all right, first year defensive coordinator. You're a first year head coach, first year guys all over the staff. I'm like, do you have that veteran guy? And he's like, I, I I feel pretty comfortable with who we've got. And I brought in a guy who's analytics slash game management that I think I can really trust for those moments. I don't have that guy's name handy. That
1: guy needs to step his shit up too. Like- <laughs> that guy that guy died four weeks ago. He's 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 underground. Uh, I, the one thing I learned, I guess, and I didn't really, I stayed away from Denver for the first two weeks anyway. I wasn't nuts about them, but um. When there's too much new in football, so there are two things that I noticed that I'm filing away for next year. Too much new, and then the QB that's not there in the preseason, like with Burrow, when mm-hmm. Burrow had the appendix thing. Interesting. And I, it's, I mean, the Bengals, we could talk about them quickly. I'm not going to overreact to them yet because- their offensive line, which I don't think is as bad as it looked those first mm. two weeks, don't we have to factor in the T.J. Watt, Mike yes. Parsons combo? Yes. Like, there's nobody else. No other team in the league has those two guys. They've already checked. So that's off it. The, they got the two, two yeah, best pass rushers in the
2: league. Yes. Right. And and a lot of that stuff is not the offensive line. It's Burrow not throwing the ball. And he's a little pocket. rusty. And so yeah.
1: I so I filed that away of like, all right, this was bad. This was a chain of events. We can explain this maybe for week three. Like, I'm willing to give them one more chance. I don't know if I'm going to bet on them this week. Denver, they were going to, I need a month. I need a month of confidence. I need to know you know what to do with these different game. This is the stuff Belichick is the best at. I know. Like, say what you want about him with the draft, with like weird offensive plays, but game management, like the last three minutes of the first half, knowing the first what, five yep. minutes of the second half, um, that goal to go stuff, the last two minutes of a game, that's what the Pats were always brilliant at. And hack it's the opposite. So a lot for- of that,
2: a lot of that stuff will come with experience, but that's not an excuse in the NFL where McVeigh and Belichick and Tomlin are these guys that have been around and they know how to manage that stuff. Like, you know, Brandon Staley last year was the guy where it was like, is there someone helping him on some of these decisions where we praised it the first half of the season and the second half of the season it was like, okay, you just don't go for it every time on fourth down. There needs to be some sort of, you know, right. guidance or a binder. The Ravens historically spend the most money on an analytics staff. And for a while there, Lamar was getting a lot of success on fourth and short. And a lot of it was John Harbaugh trusting his guys. I'm not sure every team has that. I do know Denver has invested a bunch into analytics. The problem is you need the coach to listen to those analytics guys. And you need to be able to know the communication in that moment without even having a second to, you know, what are we doing? No conversation. I trust you. Here's the here's the play. Let's go. I think that's going to happen over time. But the fact is, this bill—they're one and one. The Chargers are one and one. The Raiders are zero and two.
1: They're the Ravens still, are already banged up. Ra- you go like, through the AFC. The, like, the Bengals are zero and two. There's like, going to be one AFC South playoff team. You know, maybe I, two I, in the East. It's still open.
2: It's still wide open. And I, I look at them this weekend against San Francisco. Everyone's right. It's a tough place to win. Their defense has played well. You say you're not betting on it, but like Russell Wilson, still Russell Wilson. And I feel like they've got ways, way to go to be where they want to be. And they're still just one and one. They're not zero and two.
1: When you say Russell Wilson is still Russell Wilson, you mean like I, I believe so. I like think he looks physically, all right. Basically he's still the same human being he was two years ago. Cause I don't feel like he's the same quarterback. I think he still looks okay. Like I I thought he was good. Okay. They traded all this I shit for him. We gave I him know. a huge contract. Okay is not good enough. I know. Need those Kyler Murray moments. All right, more Did panic that. meter. The Wilson trade. I'm at an eight. I'm at an eight with panic meter for the if I'm a Broncos fan. I, this seems to happen. This happened a few times with the Red Sox, where, when I, especially when I was younger, where it was like, we got Jack Clark. <laughs> oh my God. He's a mate. Remember him in the 87 playoffs? And oh Jesus, what? Finally, he's going to own the monster. And he shows up and it's just not the same guy. And within a year, you're like, oh my God, this guy's luggage. Andre Dawson. I don't know if Wilson's like that, but it, it does feel like he's hitting a different phase of his career. He could change that on Sunday by just. Running around and creating time. The key with him was always creating the extra two, no. three seconds. I just don't see it from him anymore. It's been a struggle. I get that, but I still think he's got it in him, and that's
2: going to take time. That's the same thing I'm saying about Hackett. Like, give him a little bit of time. This is week two, and he was with them this summer, and like they're all they're all in on him. I think there's also another narrative going on that's parallel to this. That there's a lot of people, ex players from the Seahawks, now coming out. Whether it be Richard Sherman, KJ Wright, uh, you know, people making like rolling there. A lot of those defensive guys from the Legion of Boomera believe that they're the reason that team did what they did. And for some reason, Russell Wilson gets all the credit for it. There is resentment there. And I feel like that's out there. I also think he's low-hanging fruit. He's not the coolest guy. He wore a right. shiny, he wore a shiny suit after a loss to the press conference with like a People cringe at Russell Wilson. They think he's corny. They think he's dorky. They think he's... You know, that's all low-hanging fruit. I, I also think he's really good at quarterback. And I think his players that are on his Broncos team are buying in. And I think his coach has attached his lot to him. And I don't think that the Broncos are going to be one of these 4-13 and 13 teams this year. I think they're going to be okay. And I actually think they might beat the Niners this weekend.
1: I'm going to give you some quarterbacks and you tell me you have who you have ahead of him. <laughs> Right now for this year to try to win a Super Bowl. Mahomes Rodgers, no. No. Josh Allen, no way. No, 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 no. Herbert and Burrow? No. All right, that's five.
2: Yeah, I don't think he's top five. Tom Brady? I'm not betting again. I'd put Brady over Wilson
1: right now, yeah. Me too. That's six. Lamar?
2: Yeah, I'd put Lamar over over Russell. I'd that's put him seven. right seven. I'd put him right there at eight.
1: Kyler? I would take Russell over Kyler right now. You would. For this season. That's a good argument. Stafford, because he's banged up, I wouldn't have him. Cousins, Dak, those guys. Yeah. Carr, the way Carr just... It was an argument, but Carr's looked like crap for two weeks. Um, The only other one I... I, What about our our new hero, Tua? Jalen Hurts? Oh, Tua. (laughs) I was going to say, Hurts and Tua are both right in that comment. Hurts. I think I would rather have Jalen Hurts than Wilson. So there's nine, there's nine, and I I, I, I don't I even know argue. if I'd want to bet on Jalen Hurts in a playoff game, but what he did against Minnesota, I don't think Wilson will we do that anymore. And then my tenth one would be, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, and this you is a it. huge gamble. I really like what I'm seeing from Trevor Lawrence. I saw, <laughs> like Chris, I knew you were going there. I knew oh, you were going I just, there. I just love Trevor Lawrence. I <laughs> just, I just love that guy. And um, look, he's being coached by you know. A, a I think human he can being. make more throws. That play when he had Javante Williams at the goal line—it's been screen grab. literally didn't see him. <laughs> screen grab, pretty tough. All right, more panic meter. Brady and the Bucks—I'm at like a three and a half. I think they're fine. They're just do Brady's, you? I, I, I think they got it. No, I don't think so they're, they're fine up. for like the next couple of weeks. Yeah. But I, I'm thinking November, December, January. I think they'll be okay. Right I'm now, very, I don't like it.
2: I'm very cautious on them over the next few weeks. If they hit the skids and like what becomes of this, because mm. their defense is awesome right now, but their offense has been anemic. Um, they needed that pick six last week. They got the play by Perriman, which was huge. Their defense has been lights out.
1: Uh, but that's why I'm not worried is because I think their defense is going to be able to carry them. That That's why I'm like at a three and a half, four. Okay, I, I would be more five or six. I, the
2: suspensions, mm. whatever with Evans, but like you get, you start talking about you know, already week two, Julio's hurt, Gage hasn't gotten the, you know, you're talking about injuries already at the wide receiver spot. I don't think Gronk is coming back yet, um, and they're gonna have to eventually start scoring some points. And Brady, it, it, if he's under duress from that offensive line, it it could be trouble.
1: I heard Evans's defense was, you're so you're giving me one eleventh of the Deshaun Watson suspension, really. That's what we're doing here. Like, why don't they do the thing where he just gets suspended for the first quarter? I never understood why a game is so significant in the NFL. It should just be like a quarter or the first half or Kansas City
2: fans, Kansas City fans are up in arms because I don't know all the details, but Willie Gay, their star linebacker, he just got docked for four games. Right. You know, personal conduct stuff, but we don't know exactly what it was, so I'm not going to weigh in. But if he's getting four games and Watson got what he got, like, and and
1: Gay, I don't know. The, whatever titans and colts i'm a 10 and a 10 on the panic meter fair 10 and 10 I, the colts <laughs> look absolutely <laughs> abominable and can't block even though they're paying their left guard like fifteen oh, million a boy. year they, they give him that deal 20 million dollars a year he's a guard and he's great
2: and he's like a great humanitarian and he's like the colts guy and quentin nelson's great but like he's not touching the ball a single play to pay an offensive guard that money you Better feel confident that you've got other guys, and I don't know who plays wide receiver for the Colts. This Pittman had a decent year last year. He's hurt. The Doolin, uh, Alec Pierce is a rookie. None of these guys are on the field, and then we get to the
1: and the old games. man Matt. And
2: then, yeah, and you get to the games, and you're like, "All right, Matt Ryan, go and lead us with throwing the ball to we don't know oh, who, right?" Poor us offensive line, and I, you know, every year we are like the Colts are the team coming in, and they got this new quarterback Not this and year. They, not here. And Jim Ursay, we know how he handled Carson Wentz. He's been tweeting up a storm about how much he loves Matt Ryan. Well, I'm curious to see. Let's check in on that one.
1: They look bad and Tennessee looks worse. The most alarming thing for Tennessee for me. And, you know, he broke his foot last year. He looked slow in the playoffs. There was a lot of evidence against him, maybe ever getting back to the form he had, the curse of 370, all that stuff. And then, I think he's like Derrick Henry's like really slow. And for him in the first two games have not seen the same kind of invisible big boy stuff from him. I know. And it's on scary. top of it, they have no skill position, guys. The Tannehill thing. Now you have Malik Willis. His breath's on Tannehill's neck now. Yes. Come on. It's a it's logical. Not, he's not, he's not like pinned against his back or anything. What are you talking, talking about? Like, it's, oh, what's on my it, neck? It's, what nothing, it's nothing that Malik Willis has done
2: to increase his odds. It's just how bad Tannehill's been. And then it's a logical conclusion. Like You reveal yourself. If Tannehill can't get the job done and you took a recorder back in the third round, eventually Tannehill's in the
1: final year of his contract. It's like, all right, we have no other choice. Tannehill's been terrible. Um, well, he's, he's think of it. He's like, you want to give him a really nice car that's decked out and he could drive it fine. But if you're giving him a, a banged-up car and you're asking him to drive it the same way, now he's Ryan Tannehill. He's the guy we saw in the Dolphins.
2: Yeah, and that's the Here's here's the other thing. And it's funny because A.J. Brown has bristled at any conversation about it and doesn't talk about it when asked. He actually takes the high road. But the word out of Tennessee was that they couldn't come to terms with a deal for A.J. Brown. So they traded him. The deal that A.J. Brown signed with the Eagles is not a crazy contract. It's actually... On par with all, you know, tier two wide receivers or tier, you know, low tier one. He's not in that Devontae Tyreek thing, but it was a very manageable contract. And when you trade AJ Brown at 25 years old and he's healthy and he looks amazing with the Eagles, and you're like, Well, we drafted Traylon Burks. That's a lot on Traylon Burks. And you better have the production from the other guys, and they don't. Very interesting decision. And AJ Brown, from what I gather, wasn't asking for the moon. He was asking for what his market value was, which the Eagles were more than happy to pay him.
1: Yeah, either you pay your quarterback or pay your franchise receiver at this point. It's got to be one of two. What you don't want to do is pay your left guard the most money in the team. I'm going to say that's not I want Quentin
2: Nelson to get four catches for 63 yards yeah. this week.
1: Well, they're, they're playing Tennessee, and it's at Tennessee. Vegas is slightly favored, minus one and a half. That's one of the games I like, because Vegas, I watched both games. They were right there with the Chargers. Carr didn't play that well. They left that one on the table. I felt like they could have stolen that one if Carr played a little better. And then week two, you know, they dominate the cards. They could have put them away. They settled for a field goal over a touchdown. Cards start coming back, couple three and outs, and it just, the game tilted, and now all of a sudden the cards are on their 53rd play of the second half, and it got stupid. Um, with that said, they almost won that game too. field had, had a first down on the 40. They were Deron almost Harman. in field goal range.
2: DerRon Harmon should have had to play of the game. That deep pass to Hollywood and Daron Harmon jars it loose. They get the ball yep. back. They're they're on the Cardinals' side. They're at the forty. Like Daniel Carlson could make that, and then Hunter Renfro fumbles and
1: you know crazy well, stuff don't, happens. Don't forget about the fourth down PI where they showed the replay and it was one of those holding, wait, defensive holding. You're like, wait, what? what? What was that? Can you think can the, you show think, that a second time?
2: I think the NFL has buried that tape. I've not seen that yeah. footage since the no, game.
1: That footage doesn't <laughs> exist. A uh, couple more panic meter quickly. Kirk Cousins. I've never wavered from a five. The mistake last week with underdog we, parlay for We did us. it again. And, and you were involved. <laughs> yeah. We glossed over the primetime Kirk thing. We, and we JJ said it, was laughing. La- John Jastrzemski was laughing. He's like, what are you guys doing? You don't bet on primetime cousins. We did. And I'll never do it again. But here's my issue. So Bill. he's on the do not bet list. Primetime yeah, but here's cousins. Here's my issue.
2: Why is that more prime time than a four o'clock Fox game against the Packers where everyone in America is watching? can't handle (laughs) the night. The the extra three hours of that time to prep, like that's what's going to get him. Like I love, I love like the numbers and the stats, but he's, he's beaten the Saints in the playoffs. Right. In in New Orleans. But no, to your point, he's now two and 11 on Monday Night Football. (laughs) That's crazy.
1: They're minus a half at home against Detroit. And I'm a little worried about the overreaction piece where Detroit people like their offense. They banged up uh, Washington last week. Minnesota looks terrible coming off on of Monday night. Their defense, the coach looked like he was just in a coma. I, I still don't <laughs> understand what that defense was. Hey, Jalen Hurts, just throw for eight yards every yeah, time. Or run. Um, Detroit's plus 194, and I'm at least sticking them as a underdog parlay candidate. Two to one odds almost. Yeah, that's a maybe. i that game's interesting. What I
2: don't love about that game is that it's in Minnesota. The first Detroit games were in Detroit and they still yep. had to get their groove and they had that big comeback against the Eagles and then they had to comeback against Washington. You're like, all right, Minnesota's a house of horrors um, in Minnesota, maybe for a young team. So
1: I, I would stay away. I like the five and a half a little bit more because I like the teams that have weapons where even if they're down double digits, I feel like they can get the cheap touchdown late. That's why I liked Atlanta last week. I didn't bet on it for million (laughs) dollar picks but like that the trade could be down 10 with three minutes left and you get the drive going down hey Uh, did
2: we all did we all did you guys did you and Sal tell me is Amon Ross St. Brown the new best player in the NFL like what an unbelievable player and did you see what he said this week he said that because I think he was the eighth wide receiver taken he said that he can list all the dudes in front of him can do that sure but during pregames was looking, looking all up and down the sideline for a guy named Dynami Brown, who was drafted by Washington before him. And he was looking for him, seeking him out. He's like, I didn't see him. I was looking for him. I wanted to see him. Like I have his name over my locker. Like that's the kind of stuff that I'm as a sports nerd. I absolutely love. It's like, you know, the Michael Jordan stuff where Lebron web- like
1: I love yeah. that shit. <laughs> I want a website where the, the people who are just completely aggrieved by where they got drafted—it seems like they have a 100 success rate. What? Is it? It's Brady. It's it's him. They're, Brady uh, was a great one. No, there's DK, been a lot of them. There's DK some good Metcalf's, ones. Draymond Green is a good one. Draymond Green right? can list everybody in his draft that went ahead of him. I love that. Uh, wait, two more, three more panic meters. Rams. I'm at a seven with the Rams. Is nah, that fair? I think, I think I think they'll I think they'll
2: take care of business this weekend. And so where two are two and one? I'm at a five with the Rams. I didn't like okay. how they played the first two weeks. And the, what scares me is both those games were at home where they should have been, you know, hyped up, good to go. Like, does that team travel? We'll see. I think they will be okay in Arizona though.
1: The fields era, I'm at a four and you could talk me you into know, a five just cause like he, like he doesn't complete passes. It seems, no. I always thought that was part of a quarterback's job is to get, I don't know, is 15 completions in a game a lot, 20. And he's at like seven, eight a game. And that, that, now that could be a skill position, guys, or they manage. The- yeah. they're playing Packers week two. Terrible weather week one. I, I'm, I, I'm not over a five yet, but it's on my radar. I, I mean, long term, yeah, sure.
2: I, I, he has the season right. There's like, like we'll see. And and Luke Getzi has been getting crushed as an offensive coordinator. He was the quarterback. It's funny. Rogers last year was with Hackett as his OC and Getzey as his quarterback's coach. I think the two most critiqued people in coaching yeah. right now are Hackett as a head coach and Getzey as an offensive coordinator. Um, Jesus. Roger, Rogers was pretty good, maybe. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how they that offense develops. You can't have a quarterback completing like four passes in a game. Like they, You have to throw the ball and he's got to get better and accurate. But to your point, we knew going in. You know, everyone, all the fantasy guys or Darnell Mooney. I was like, Darnell, sure, but like Darnell yeah. Mooney, obviously, it's hard to just generate offense through Darnell Mooney, and he hasn't gotten any looks because defenses know that's the one guy to cap to cover on that on that offense.
1: I think the running backs on that team are going to just—that's what they'll do. They're just going to run the ball. But if you're down, I mean play action. Once you're down 10, it's different. Exactly. They were
2: down 13 or 14 points, and Montgomery and Herbert started going in the second half. And you know, fantasy wise, it's great, but you don't win football games just running the ball down 14 points. Pitts,
1: I'm at a three, but you could talk me into a zero. Bill. Know, why doesn't he pick get the ball? <laughs> Drake he's London right there. Great. He's <laughs> Kyle Pitts, he lines up. It's just like throw to the guy who looks like he's bigger, faster, and stronger than everyone on the other team. Oh, he's yeah, right there. Baseball. It's funny.
2: He was serving as a decoy to Cardero Hodge on Sunday. <laughs> right. <laughs> Feed the beast. Give him the ball. He'll get um, going. I'm a zero on that one. I know he's brought a lot of people. Well, on. he's on three
1: of my fantasy I, teams, I'm so sure. I'm at a four. You're not alone. And then I talked my son in drafting him, and we were driving home from football practice history. He's like, I'm trading Kyle Pitts. I'm like, don't. You don't trade anyone <laughs> after week two. He's like, he sucks. He doesn't get the ball. What are you doing, Dad? You suck at this. Why do I listen to you? He's screaming at me in the car. I, I love like, that. Hey, Can I just drive home? Uh, My last one is Trubisky. I'm at a 13 on Trubisky at a 10. Well, we're recording this
2: on a Thursday afternoon. I'm at a 13 as well. Well, it's going to run well. before
1: the game. I, oh, it is? I, okay. I think this will be his last start today. It'll be Kenny Pickett after I'm,
2: I'm at a 13 as well. I hate being negative um, on He Mitch was
1: his, awful against the he, Patriots.
2: Oh, my Lord. He was awful against the Bengals, too. And I, I just... Let's see what happens with this Browns game. Browns are favored, obviously. And again, by the time you listen to this on your commute on Friday morning, if you're listening, we'll know already. But I... Pickett looked really good in the summer, but Tomlin dug his heels and was like, Trubisky's our guy. I went on your podcast for the season. I'm like, oh, no, no, this is Trubisky's team. But now after a month or after three weeks, we'll we'll start to hear the chirping out of the locker room if they want to see a change because those are too many veteran players. to Look, when you've got three stallions like they have at wide receiver and Claypool and Deontay Johnson and of course the new guy Pickens and they're not getting going and those are three guys with personalities, we'll start yeah. hearing soon enough.
1: It's a really weird misfire by a top five coach, who I think all of us really respect. That they're not he paying was just him, like, "Mitch is my guy,"
2: but they're not paying him crazy money. And yes, he misfired maybe in the starting him, but they did draft a quarterback with the twentieth overall pick. So someone uh, there
1: thought. I better hope thought, that works out. I know, I know. Three. So the underdogs, the lines are all weird this week. Everything is very tight. The only three I was looking at were Carolina plus one thirty-two. Their home against the Saints, and I really like them. I like them straight up and the money. Jacksonville is plus 240 against the Chargers. You got Herbert's a little banged up. Uh, Jacksonville's second in DVOA right now, which I thought was interesting after two games. And then the last one is that Detroit we mentioned plus 194. There's also Washington's plus 240 against Philly if you want to go zag against Philly, but I I gotta say I don't I haven't loved the underdog options this year. Remember last year there oh was oh my god we just cleaned plus up two hundreds really? all over the place. Let me tell you, the Falcons are underdogs in Seattle. I kind of like Atlanta. They're underdogs at. The See, Seahawks. I had them. I was had them down, but on Fanduel we're taping this. Are they now? Th- even? Early Thursday afternoon, uh, my time. Yeah, Atlanta's minus one now, so they don't what. Count. Okay, yeah, start of the
2: week they were a favorite.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't so, feel yeah, passionately.
2: Have we ever done just a, 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 a pass on the or we probably gotta pick two teams here?
1: <laughs> well, I was thinking if if we did uh if we did the Carolina plus one thirty two with the Lions plus five and a half, we never kinda cheated and just grabbed the spread or Jags plus seven and we took a we took a straight up thing. So Carolina's straight
2: up money line. Carolina wins.
1: Right. So Carolina and, g- and we pair Carolina's with plus one thirty two. Okay, and then you do the you do like a Jags plus seven, or you do uh, a Lions plus five and a half. With that. How about because I feel like we're
2: cheating the underdog parlay by not going to straight upset picks. Why but don't it, we,
1: listen, they didn't give it us enough choices.
2: Why they? Why don't we do? Why don't we do the straight up Carolina, and then we also include in the parlay both of those teams covering to make it a little bit more difficult.
1: A three team. You heard me. So, Raheem the Dream Palmer would not like this.
2: Is that a cardinal sin? Well, that's, you
1: a, you're basically like, no, nah, it's just, just hard. Just giving money away. Which, tell me which one you like more between Detroit and Jacks. I like the Jags more than Detroit. Yeah, I think I do too. So, we could do, I mean, I could, I could flip that line to seven and a half, too. Does that make it a little more exciting for you? Yes. Do a little Jags,
2: and the only reason I say that is because I don't know if Herbert can throw a football anymore. That was crazy last Thursday, and I want to see it before I believe it. Everyone says he's he's fine, and if it's Chase Daniel, maybe it is. I don't know, but uh, Herbert looked really really hurt, and I thought he was really really commendable uh for playing through that. But I don't know, Trevor Lawrence looks pretty good. I think the Jags can hang with them.
1: Carolina Moneyline Jags plus seven and a half is minus 136. You put those together plus 302, three to one odds. What I do you think? It. I love that. All right. We'll do that. All right. Great. And we both like the Falcons as well. Um, all right. Plug some stuff. Yeah. Uh,
2: good morning football every morning, seven to 10 Eastern, uh, NFL network. We're really in a group. We're actually going to London next week, which will lead to some hilarity leading up to that Viking saints game. And then I'm on Fox NFL kickoff every single Sunday, uh, 11 to 12 Eastern. We got Sean Payton in studio this year. He's like good. He's very good and he's telling stories and he's got a little salt to him. Uh, I think it's a really good pregame show and I know how critical you and Sal are of pregame shows.
1: Yeah, we don't like them. But <laughs> I, I, I enjoy when you're on though. It's fun to see you. I appreciate right. you saying that. Good to see you, Shakes. You're the man, dude. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system, comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are gonna figure that out? That y'all y'all packed up your car at like 11.30 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah, all they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named Best Home Security System in 2024 by U.S. News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit SimplySafe.com slash BS. Don't wait. That is SimplySafe.com slash BS. This episode is brought to you by Burger King which has the greatest commercial song I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps, choose from four bold flavors, classic spicy honey mustard, and the new, drum roll please, fiery buffalo. Oh yeah, I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way. You rule. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King. $2.99 each. Price and participation vary. U.S. only. All right. The Poison Ivy King is here. Benjamin Solak from The Ringer. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to have an eye patch. I was so excited.
0: I wanted to wear one for the show this week, uh, for our, our YouTube show, but they told me that it wasn't
1: professional, which, you know, I'm not so professional, you're, period. <laughs> so you're in the backyard, and you yeah. know it's Poison Ivy? Like, Can you walk us through this? Cause, I always thought you were one of like our smartest people at the ringer, but now you have poison ivy on your eye and I I don't know what to think.
0: Here's the issue is I, I had like new homeowner gumption where I like, we just bought this house. Okay. There's poison ivy in the backyard. And I was like, all right, time to roll up my sleeves and do the house chores and be an adult and handle my property. And I, you know, I, I thought I took all of the necessary precautions. I generally didn't get it that bad. It's just, I got it on my face. So, at this point, uh, I need to to uh, to kind of swallow the pill and acknowledge the fact that I, as a as a Gen Zer, don't have life skills and need to begin calling <laughs> professionals to do things for me.
1: I had a, a sewage pipe bursting with you getting poison ivy was plus four fifty on Fanduel. I had a little. Well, I didn't have a lot on it.
0: I currently don't have hot water because our water heater started leaking. So we're just <laughs> out here doing the homeowner thing, baby. It's a lot of fun.
1: So if you go on the ringer.com, you can read uh, all the stuff you wrote about Denver and how horrified you were about uh NetHack at P.I. And then you also in your video so I don't want to rehash all the Denver stuff. You do have a Bengals piece coming. Mm-hmm. Schrager and I talked about the Bengals a little bit. And I am in the on the panic meter, I'm I'm probably about a four. I don't like the own two start, obviously. I'm not ready to go crazy about the offensive line yet just because of the two guys they went against that there's nobody else in the league like Parsons and Watt. What did you see from the games other than rustiness from Burrow, the inability to block those two guys? What else worried you?
0: Yeah, so you you, you talk about those two guys and appropriately so, but we often say like sacks are a quarterback stat. And even to that degree, pressure can oftentimes be a quarterback stat. The, the way Burrow is behaving behind his line is really worrisome. Uh, we saw this a lot with Russell Wilson across the course of his career in Seattle, where the better Russ thought his line was the more likely he was to hang on to the football in the pocket, the more likely he was to wait around in the pocket for an extra beat, to let a route develop down the field, and see if he can get an explosive play. When he thought his line was bad, that's when he would get rid of the ball quickly. That's when he would avoid pressure by distributing, by getting outside of the pocket fast. And you're seeing that with Burrow. Their line definitely got better. They added new players. The players are improved. But Burrow now, in 2021, you'd see him, I have Javar Chase, I have single coverage, ball's out right now you see him drop back, you see him look to chase, and then you see him take a beat. And it's odd to see him take that beat. That's not how he played last season. And a lot of that, I think, is because he thinks he's going to have better protection than he really does. Jonah Williams was losing to Alex Highsmith in that in that that first game that they played against the Steelers. Dorrance Armstrong is beating the interior guys in, in the week two game against the Cowboys. Like, They're losing across the board, but Mm. Burrow was solving these problems for them last year. And this year, he's not behaving the same way on dropbacks of longer than two seconds. Burrow is zero touchdowns to three interceptions. He's leading the leagues and sacks taken anytime he chooses to hold onto the football, bad things are happening. So Cincinnati has to find a way to become quick distribution again. And it's incumbent on the quarterback to change his play style.
1: They are minus six at The jets, the jets, should have lost by seven and Nick Chubb doesn't go down. And then th- the world changes. And now Jets people plus are excited about the Never in doubt, baby. We're <laughs> chilling. Uh, when you look at the Bengals, though, that Steelers tie looks worse after what we saw from the Steelers from week two. And we're taping this before the Browns game tonight. But the Steelers offense is just so inept that it's kind of unbelievable the Bengals didn't beat them. I'm putting the Bengals... On my do not bet list for now, like for and against. I think that's a stay away. I want to see more. I feel the same way about Denver, at least for the next few weeks until they figure out the coaching thing. Who else is on your do not bet list? Just stay away until further notice. Who else do you have?
0: I'm very strong on the Bengals do not bet list. I like work through their entire offense. And usually after I, I do a piece on a team, I'm like, all right, I feel confident betting them. And I finished that offense and I was like, God Almighty, I'm not touching this team. So I'm not yeah. touching them. I'm not touching Dallas anytime soon. Uh, the two data points we have now are way too weird with a win with Cooper Rush, a loss with Dak Prescott. I thought the defense was going to regress and it has, but not as much as I thought. I don't know exactly how disruptive it is. Dallas is on that list for me for sure. Carolina's on that list. I know you're on this whole Panthers might be good thing. I can't quit Carolina. I, can't, I, I I can't get on the boat with Carolina. Uh yeah. the uh the running game looks good through the first two weeks. It looks like this can work. They get some good Baker downfield shots. They've had some drops. It feels like it's close and then McCaffrey gets banged up in practice and they just always feel like one piece away. The line's really untrustworthy. I don't like looking at Carolina They've had some
1: bad luck too. They lose on a 59-yard field goal and then in week two, they start the game out. They fumble the kickoff. Mm -hmm. So basically, they give away the first half, the first drive of each half, which is never great. They still tied it. I don't know. I'm not worried about them yet.
0: I The other team I don't want to bet is Washington because Washington's offense yes. right now is so great. volatile. Wentz is throwing downfield more than anybody else in the league. They're doing a great job with those downfield throws, but it's all third down stuff. So it's either like 30 yard gain or punt. That's a really hard offense to predict. So like I love the Eagles and really enjoying what we're seeing through two weeks, but I don't want to really touch the Eagles Washington game, especially with like the Wentz back in Philly thing. There's just a lot going on there.
1: Totally agree. They, that is the Jekyll and Hyde team of the first two weeks, right? You come away from week one, you're like, oh, Washington. Hmm. Didn't expect and then week two, their disaster. I would um I think I would throw in the Giants for one more week for me. I need to I need to see it. I'm not sure what they are, but I, I kind of like the vibe, but I'm not sure I can ever bet on Daniel Jones. But I'm also afraid to bet against them. So yeah. I'd throw them on there as well.
0: No, they're, they're not the one that's, that's, that's good on there. I have not been impressed by them through two games, and also they're 2-0. and o, So I don't know how to calibrate. Yeah. Right, That's it's a, just stay a little bit of a mess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: That's a put your hand out before you pet the dog thing. Yeah, Let the dog sniff your hand. Ravens-Pats, the Ravens are a temporary... I love the Ravens this week because I don't think the Pats are very good. And I, I was even willing... You know, we made some progress back a million-dollar picks last week, but uh, still under... And I was willing to even throw the Pats, anti an anti-Pats bet in there to get a win. The Ravens are banged up. And I think there is, I want to see like, what kind of shape are they in health-wise? We're not going to know. I think that's the reason the line right now is under three. And then you have the Lamar. I mean, they're beating Miami by 21 points in the second half.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So some good stuff is happening, but I don't know what to make of them. You have any thoughts on that game before we move?
0: Yeah. So I like the Ravens. I had them at one and a half. I like them at two and a half. Still, I think you're going to get enough pieces back that offensively right now, they look really, really good like this. Lamar from the pocket's been awesome. He's throwing the ball really well. The running game is not great, but J.K. Dobbins actually was a full participant in practice. So this might be the week we finally get J.K. Dobbins back. Yeah, The end of that Miami game, I mean, like Dolphins fans took me to the woodshed for that game, but I, I... the more I, I think about that fourth quarter, the more I think a lot of it's going to seem like an aberration for both teams. I, I don't think the Dolphins can sustain winning on 28-point fourth quarters throughout the course of the season. But with that said, they made the Ravens' secondary run for hours. The the NGS with their, with, with their player tracking, the Ravens secondary ran more total yardage than any team had over the last two seasons. The Ravens pass rush, right? They were not blitzing. They were winning with four rushers through the first three quarters. They had like a pass rush win rate of like 50% or something. And then fourth quarter, 22%. The Ravens just got gassed, right? So I think the Ravens are, are.
1: So did the Raiders. That was what happened to the Raiders too. It was happened twice in the same day.
0: I think you have a Ravens team that's going to be good. They're not going to have those time of possession problems, not going to be going up against that much receiver speed every single week. And I think they're going to be able to finish games and like be able to handle teams like the Patriots. It's the Dolphins who are really interesting to me because we've always had this theory of smash mouth football, like ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound. We're going to physically dominate you by the fourth quarter. You're going to be tired. And the Dolphins are kind of doing a similar thing. Like, hey, we're going to beat you late because you're going to be exhausted, but they're not doing it with power. They're doing it with speed. We're just going to make you run so much that by the fourth quarter, we can start pouring points on you. Now they get Buffalo. And handicapping that Buffalo game, I mean, that Buffalo line looks so freaking juicy. But I do wonder if we get that backdoor cover and you're kind of worried about what the Dolphins bring in the second half and everybody's tired.
1: Buffalo favored by five and a half in Miami. We'll see what the weather is on Sunday. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this is a once-in-a-season chance for a parlay here with the Bills at the Dolphins, Bills minus 250, and the Chiefs at the Colts minus 260. I think the Colts are one of the three worst teams in the league. I don't think anything was an aberration from the first two weeks with them. Whether Pittman comes back or not, I just don't see it with that team. I know it's a must-win. I know there's there's some red flags with the 0-2 team in the must-win situation at home. But I think you and I are more bullish on the Chiefs than others. And then you have the Bills against the Dolphins. The Dolphins, again, we're down by 21 to Lamar. I, to me, is this the last week where we're able to get the Bills at a little undervalue before they just get, they start getting treated like the 07 Pats? Where it, I feel yeah. like three weeks from now, this game is like Bills minus 10 and a half because yeah. they're such a juggernaut. So why not jumping on them now?
0: I, I very much agree. The 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 thing to be concerned about with this line and the trap is the health in the Buffalo secondary right now. Micah Hyde limited in practice, Jordan Poyer limited in practice, obviously Notre Dame, B. White, they're banged up in that defensive backfield and that's part of what killed the Ravens, right? The Ravens had to put young rookie corners out there, make them run, make them communicate against all this Dolphins passing game, all this stretch, all this speed, and they ended up busting and giving up some explosive plays. Buffalo might be in a similar boat and that's what gives you worry. Buffalo's offense feels like, you know, plug and chug 35 points, this is not a conversation, right? This is going to be their first test against a really like man coverage heavy team. They're going to get guys up on the line of scrimmage, pushing them in the face, right? Against both the Rams and the Titans. You had that kind of like off cover, you had zone and Josh Allen's been such a good quick game passer this year, better than we've ever seen him. Now you're going to get this physical style of coverage. We should probably see more deep shots. It should look a little bit more like Buffalo offenses of old, but Gabe Davis is expected to play in this game. And so they do have that vertical guy, their big downfield threat. I struggle to see how the Buffalo offense gets stopped. So I think you're a little bit safer on like Buffalo team total lines. I think you're a little bit safer on like Buffalo first half spread. because you're worried about the Dolphins speed fatigue thing coming in the fourth quarter. But overall, five and a half to me is is overreactive to one really good quarter of Miami Dolphins football against Baltimore. I think the Buffalo is a touchdown better than the Dolphins, at least.
1: You also have the AFC East thing. You have the Bills trying to lay the SmackDown in this first month as we are the big boys of the 2022 season. They're getting so, oh, the Dolphins. Well, what about the Dolphins? And I just feel like if this team has it, you win this game. You put the Bills and the Chiefs together, it's minus 107 money line parlay. Yeah.
0: It's basically I, even I, odds. Yeah.
1: Who's, who's I, losing that out of those two? I think
0: Buffalo's a better chance to lose.
1: The Chiefs
0: Colts line is like classic trap line. It's like two and zero incredible Chiefs versus 0 and two really bad Colts, five and a yeah. half. Go ahead, take it. We dare you. I'd feel more worried about it if it wasn't Patrick Mahomes versus Gus Bradley. Cause he's seen Gus Bradley a lot. He's, he's a and I, the stats for, are crazy, right? Yeah, for multiple years with the Raiders. And exactly Patrick Mahomes averages like eighty percent completion percentage or something against this defense. Um, I think that even if you're worried about a spirited Colts offensive performance. Colts defense who does not do anything, anything that Mahomes hasn't seen beaten up and beaten up again over the course of his career. Like this is pitch and catch stuff. Uh, and so my biggest positions prop wise and, and kind of building out same games this this week will be on Chiefs offensive Mahomes production. I just don't see a, a, a way in which the Colts win this by taking the air out of the Chiefs sales.
1: Wait a second. Are you saying you, you put a little Solak same gamer in the in this, in the soup pot, what do you got? What were you Always. making for us?
0: So, if you're looking at Chiefs to cover five and a half, Patrick Mahomes over 300 receiving yards, and Travis Kelsey over 80 receiving yards, you're looking at a same game of about plus 500. And that, to me, is just the primary target, the primary, the the the, the league's best quarterback, and a spread against a defense that he's beaten multiple times when he played with the Raiders over multiple years. I... I If the Raiders had, or excuse me, not the Raiders, if the Colts had a really good pass rush, I'd maybe feel a little worried about it. That's how this Gus Bradley defense works when it works. But you haven't seen that from Quiddy Payne, Yannick, Ngakwe this year. Like, Forrest Buckner's been quiet through two weeks. They are not getting the play they wanted to from that front. And we still don't even know if Shaq Leonard's playing. This, yeah, they had. They built this thing around a cornerstone in Shaq Leonard. We do not know if he's going to be available for week three. There's just way too much doubt in the Colts' defense that I struggle to see how we don't get there with Mahomes and Kelsey props, and then fold in your money lines, fold in your spreads, fold in your team totals, and juice the stats up.
1: Five to one odds. We're, could you... We were not able to bet this, but would you bet on the Colts fans booing during the second half? Would you throw that in if there were odds on that?
0: Yes, I think so. Especially, <laughs> I think that's the
1: likely outcome this yeah. week is the Colts... Right. Colts getting killed and the fans booing by the third quarter.
0: If 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 the Colts go another week without making Jonathan Taylor the true featured part of this offense, I don't know what's gonna make him. Like they they start they, they come out with a scripted drive last week with three Naeem Hines targets. And yeah. then he plays like 11 more snaps. Naeem Hines is a fine little player. He's a good guy to have in your building, good returner. Jonathan Taylor yeah, perhaps the least, but let's get the ball in his hands from drive one. Let's stay on a neutral script. Let's establish the run. Let's get him involved in the passing game. It's not like his hands don't work. Like, Okay, Naeem Hines, good receiving back. Jonathan Taylor with the ball in his hands with blockers. This is so much easier than they're making it out to be. So if I'm a Colts fan, I'm I'm not feeling great about beating the Chiefs. But if we go another week where Taylor is not getting used on the altar of Desmond Patton and Mo Cox, I have a problem with somebody.
1: It's too early to pay too much attention to DVOA, but it is interesting that Indy was thirty-one and Tennessee was thirty-two. I would have I would have guessed they were in the bottom four. When you when Jaguars
0: do you, AFC South odds, baby. I'm loving and the, them. Feels good. And the
1: Jags were too. The Jags were thirteen to one heading into week two last week. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they speaking of Tennessee, Vegas is one of the ones I like. Vegas minus one yeah. and a half at Tennessee. I just think Tennessee is bad. I don't think that Bills thing, even though that's the worst possible team for them to play at. I just don't see it. I, I see the Tennessee season getting worse, not better. And then Vegas could easily be 2-0. We covered that with Shrigs on the top. You see any red flags in Vegas before uh, I proceed so with that one?
0: I think like you have the Hunter Renfro injury, right? They don't have Trevon Merrick. like They're dealing with some banged up stuff. But in general, I think that their issues are so easily correctable on the offensive side of the ball. All right. Two catches for Devontae Adams. Maybe we don't do that again and we score more points. Like that to me feels about as easy as it gets. They're a super pass happy team, too. And if there is no Renfro, I think you're gonna see a big Adams game. I'm not sure the Titans have a corner that can respond to that. The Tennessee, the Tennessee thing, man, I was I was flabbergasted to see that line open as close as it did. I know it's at home. I know Vrabels historically won tough games. They're good at, at home against the spread. They're good in low, low, low spreads. Like this is a Vrabel spot. But the pillars of this team, talking about cornerstones we built yeah. around AJ Brown and we built around Derek Henry and we built around Harold Landry and Taylor Lewan. none of these guys are playing. Like, I mean, Henry is, but is a shell of himself. The offensive yeah. line has been decimated. Landry goes down now, Bud Dupree is down with injury. Like the, the, this team is Kevin Byard in terms of the guys they, they, built the run around the last few years, there's one, maybe two of them left that are healthy and playing well. We had to be some Malik Willis in the third quarter. This is a a team in transition. They do not, I I think at this time, deserve respect up against like playoff caliber teams like the Raiders. I think it's a great Raiders get back spot.
1: Bad off season for them. And I still don't totally understand the AJ Brown decision, the whole thing.
0: I totally understand it. As an Eagles fan, I see the vision so clearly. Great
1: call. (laughs) Yeah, you love that
0: as an Eagles fan. Beautiful. Genius. One
1: of the... One of the underdog parlays, because there's barely any underdogs this week for that we would actually want to bet on. One of the underdog parlays we we're thinking was Carolina money line plus one thirty two with Jags bumped to seven and a half against the charge, which Chargers, which is minus one thirty two. And you put those two together, three to one. I think that Jags line's too high. And I, I might be a little too bullish on the Jags. They're coming off a pretty easy win against the Colts. But I thought they looked pretty good in week one, and they should have won. And Wentz just hit two crazy throws that a week yes. later, he would just throw the other team. I think there's something here with the Jags. DVOA thinks so. What do you think?
0: Love it. And 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 it's bad. This is, this is a guilty pleasure of mine. I don't want you taking me here, but... I had Jags AFC South before the season. I had Trevor Lawrence MVP before the season. For me, it was all like the the difference between Urban Meyer and Doug Peterson is like too much for us to even understand how big of an ad that is. And you see that in terms of they're just running professional stuff. They're running smart stuff. They're so much cleaner of an operation. They should have won that Washington game. They should be 2-0. But here you go against the Chargers team where the Chargers have the talent that they should be able to beat a team like the Jaguars cleanly. But we have seen enough times over the last two years, Brandon Staley and Joel Lombardi, that they don't do that. They they have a quarterback that should let them just step on a throat for four quarters and they won't do it. Now you're going to put a line that's a little bit banged up. Matt Filer had a rough game, right tackle has been a turn style against a good Jaguars defensive line. This is, this is a, a unit that is causing disruption. They're creating havoc. You're not going to push the ball down the field you're going to get yourself into a one-score game with a Jaguars offense that can run the football, can throw the football, beat you in a variety of ways. Like This reads like a one-score game to me all the way through because the Chargers simply won't be explosive. They choose not to be. So I, I like the Jaguars at a Keenan Allen, spot. Yeah. Keenan
1: Allen, not 100% healthy. I think he's going to play, but he missed last right. week.
0: And even then, like Keenan is a 4-6 player, right? Like He's good for them in they're underneath intermediate stuff. He doesn't really add the dimension of depth, of verticality to the offense that they need. The, this like It reads one score. It reads Jags saying within seven. I like that, that look a lot. And I brought it up on our, the, the week one show. Books still don't know how to price, price Christian Kirk, man. He, he's the feature receiver of this offense. The yardage is at like 60 and a half. The t- score a touchdown is like plus 120. It's too low. You just got to keep taking it until
1: they make you stop. And I've watched a fair share of the Jags first two weeks. A little chip on his shoulder with Christian Kirk. I think he heard, Absolutely. I think he heard some of the chatter that he might have been overpaid. So do you like the plus seven and a half or the plus seven or do you like the money line or or both?
0: The money line is fun to sprinkle. I do think plus seven and a half is, is, is a lot better. I think this is a one score game and if you're one score late, I do still take Herbert over Lawrence in kind of that position. The, yeah. the the the, uh, the the Chargers defense as well. We do you know by the same token, like Lawrence coming off a really good game, but it was against Gus Bradley, who I just spent like five minutes besmirching. So I think Lawrence's arrow is pointing up. I think he's playing well. I don't want to overreact to pitch and catch against cover three and the Colts. Staley's pass defense a lot better. It could be a little bit more laborious, but James Robinson in the running game looks good. Don't be surprised if the Jaguars control the clock in this one to keep it close.
1: Speaking of inexplicable defense, what the hell were the Vikings doing against your team on Monday night? What was that running, defense running
0: running quarters coverage, baby? Harrison Smith from twelve yards of depth closing on Devontae Smith in the slot. It look looks a lot better in the Big Twelve.
1: When stuff doesn't work after a half hour, don't you come up with a plan B? Don't you mix in a blitz? Yeah. Don't you try to keep Hertz guessing? I I, I Hertz was was great, and I know the Eagles fans are out of their minds right now about it, and they should be. But I've never seen a defense do less to challenge something that was working for the other team. I yeah. thought it was insane. It, they fixed it a little in the second half, but I didn't understand it. So what it's happened? It's funny
0: because you said, right, you said money line-wise, underdog-wise, te- you don't have a lot of teams you like. I really like the Lions on the spread. Good, and on the that we had line. them. Okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my biggest bet this week will be DeAndre Swift overs the moment the books give me the freaking lines, but Swift and banged up, and they haven't kind of you know priced anything out yet. But both Swift and Williams will be used in a big way. The Lions get Swift the ball against light boxes. No defense runs lighter boxes than the Vikings. Swift is second league right now in rushing yards over expectation per attempt. He's breaking tackles in the second level. This reads like a, a, a Lions running game, 38 minutes time of possession, just dominate on the ground against a bad vikings run defense and that's what the vikings are they want to be too deep we want to play quarters we want to play with a light box four down linemen two linebackers and and try to fit you with the run with with stunts and with twists and with safeties dropping and they just don't have the horses to do it ed donatel who's their defensive coordinator, who's a big fan joe disciple said in a presser today like oh we just got to execute you don't have the guys like yeah we have to execute sounds great when it's cam bynum jordan hicks and cam Dancer playing like it, it it works when you have enough players to make it happen. But this is a specific scheme that requires really, really good players in the back seven. Minnesota isn't that right now. And so if they want to live in this world, Detroit is the absolute number one team built to beat them for it. Detroit's going to hand the football off 40 times. Have a great day.
1: Jacksonville and Detroit. Money lines. Parlay. Plus 899. 99. That's 9-1. It's,
0: it's funny. I just said on the Ringer uh, Friday show for the NFL, I said, you know, the two preseason darlings for the Jags and the Lions... They both have interconference opponents, guys who are playoff caliber teams. At least one of them is going to show up and, and dawn and say, "I am a playoff team this year." So betting on both is scary. I I I like Jack's exposure. I like Lions' exposure. If we get both of them, how awesome! I think one for sure has a game that kind of they they they're able to get a big win. They're able to get a statement win. Both scares me. That's 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 a little too much luck for week three.
1: Carolina, Detroit, plus five eighty two.
0: If you want to do it with the Panthers, I'm not going to stop you, but. The, the the level of faith in this Panthers team scares me.
1: <laughs> uh, we liked Atlanta minus one over Seattle. I think Seattle is in the yeah. running for worst team in the league and is not being properly priced yet. You agree yeah, with that one?
0: I, I, I think I've said it on the show before. Atlanta was a team that I expected to hit a few times coming into the season. We didn't get the spread on the Rams game. Rams... Let yeah. been in the back door with the block punt. But the over on the team total is hit for Atlanta twice now. I think it's going to hit again against Seattle. And I think they're going to cover the spread. I like Atlanta early. Books still don't know just how unique this offense is, which makes it tough to prepare for.
1: You have an opinion, last but not least, on Niners Broncos?
0: Yeah, so I took Niners money line when they opened as underdogs in the beginning of the week. They are no longer underdogs. And so at this time, I wouldn't touch it. Uh, this Niners team is back to what they have been. Like when they were finishing the season last year, they had a super banged up backfield. They had some injuries along the offensive line, but they had a really good, fast, effective secondary, a great front four. And they had Jimmy working with Debo in the backfield, Kittle and Ayuk down the field. They tried to change everything in the offseason, and then you get a couple of injuries, and all of a sudden, look where they are. It's Jimmy, yeah. Kittle's probably coming back for this game. Debo's going to have to take a lot of handoffs because there's no Elijah Mitchell. They're back on a, on a script that they know going against the Denver team that I think they beat in both trenches. Uh, Denver defensive line is good not that good the interior's really got to be able to beat the San Francisco interior and that's not where they have their pass rushers and then the San Francisco defensive line I think is going to have a good day against the Denver offensive line so this reads to me like a San Francisco win but it's understandably close it is a mile high game in September so with the with the the, uh, the edge now to San Francisco I wouldn't touch it
1: Niners minus one and a half you get to bet against Kyle Sh- uh, Kyle Shanahan against that Hackett PI get that going
0: the thing is that the, the Hackett solutions are so easy that they're going to come. He's going to get better at some point. So it feels like a it feels like a, 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 not a bottomless pot of gold. There's a bottom to that. At some point, they're going to get a couple fourth down calls, right? They're going to have a timeout when they need to have a timeout, and they're going to be okay. So you want to like, you know, I, I was on Denver in week two. I thought this is the get right game against Houston. It wasn't. That get right game will come. They have too much talent, Too too, too good of a quarterback for them to continue to be like underpriced but I don't know if I'm going to be able to call the week. So Denver might also be one of my stay away teams a little bit right now. I just like San Francisco plus money.
1: So your favorite bet of the week is?
0: De- uh, DeAndre Swift overs once I can get him. Like I said, the props aren't out, but Detroit plus five and a half. I think that team is going to dominate uh, the Vikings in the offensive trenches. I think they're going to have an, a nice walk in the park on the offensive side of the ball. So
1: your poison ivy parlay is Swift <laughs> rushing yard over with the Lions yep. plus five and a half.
0: Okay. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I've got to call it the poison ivy parlay. I like it. <laughs>
1: yeah. the, the poison ivy parlay wins. Now you got a gimmick. We could put yeah. little poison ivy leaves over the Absolutely. Over the,
0: yeah, and I, then... I can I can draw poison ivy real good now. I know exactly what it
1: looks like. And then Mahomes. What was the Solak same gamer again?
0: Yeah. So if you're looking at Chiefs to cover five and a half, Mahomes over 300 yards, and Kelsey over 80 receiving yards, you're looking at about five to
1: one. Okay. Great stuff. All right, Ben Solak, stay away from that poison ivy. Good to see you.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Bill.
1: Million Dollar Picks, week three. I won $305,000 last week. I'm down $398,000 for the season. We're going to be in the positive this week. Got some help from my conciliaries, Benjamin Solak, Peter Schrager. Here's what we came up with. I like week three. Got to be honest. This might be the parlay of the year. It's a road parlay. The Bills at the Dolphins just to win. Chiefs at the Colts just to win. Put that together. It's minus 107. The Bills, undervalued at this point. They might go 20-0. I don't know what's going to happen with them. You think the Dolphins couldn't stop the Ravens last week? They're going to stop Josh Allen? Give me a break. Even if they can make some points, I think the Bills still win that. And then the Colts, they are one of the four worst teams in the league. They're in the bottom two in DVOA, playing this Chiefs team, coming off 10 days rest. I believe in the Chiefs anyway. I picked them in the Super Bowl. I think three weeks from now, there is no way you would get almost even odds on a Bills-Chiefs parlay really against anyone in the league. So we were grabbing this, we were putting $350,000 on Chiefs, Bills, Moneyline, Parlay, minus 107. Straight up bets, 250,000 each on the following. Vegas, at Tennessee, minus one half Vegas. They're 0-2, they could easily be 2-0. Tennessee is, by DVOA standards, one of the worst two teams in the league. I don't see anything I like from Tennessee. I like Vegas for a little bounce back. Shake that little Kyler Murray stink off you and take it. So we got them. We have Atlanta is minus one at Seattle. Man, like a lot of the road teams this week, but home field doesn't really matter unless you're playing Philly or Kansas City or uh, maybe Minnesota, a couple places. But Atlanta minus one against Seattle, a Seattle team that played one good half in week one. Barely held on. Shouldn't have beaten Denver, and they did in, in the end of week one. Then week two, they should have been shut out against the Rams. Special teams was the only touchdown they had. And I think Atlanta is like legitimately frisky. They can move the ball. I think they can come from behind, and I think they're going to lay it on Seattle. So Atlanta minus one, we're taking them. And then last but not least, another road team. It's the week of the road team. San Francisco, we're going against Nan Hackett, PI. I put them on my do not bet list. I've changed my mind riding Jimmy G. I just think San Francisco's a better team. I think this line should be three. San Francisco at Denver, it's only minus one and a half. Grabbing it. I think the Niners, I like them to uh, to win the NFC at 17 to one. I think that's the best value as well. So grabbing those three. And then last but not least, 100,000 each on Detroit, plus five and a half against the Vikings, a, a game they could win outright, especially if they can run the ball. Ben Solak uh, laid out the DeAndre Swift case earlier. Jacksonville plus seven at the Chargers in LA. Chargers don't have a home field advantage. Jags second in DVOA. Trevor Lawrence, things coming together. This could be what, I, I feel like this is a, whoever has the ball last game. And then finally, Carolina. I can't quit you, Carolina. You've burned me two weeks. You're the reason we're in the hole. You're the reason we are plus, that we are minus a minus 398 right now is because you didn't take care of business. I'm going back to the well. At this point, I might as well Ponzi scheme it. Just bet Carolina every week until they cover This week, I like them, though. They're plus three at home against the Saints. Jameis has fractures in his back. Uh, Their offense looked a NEP last week. And I think Carolina's due. So we're throwing them in there as well. And then we have some underdog parlays for you, too. We have three of them. Three underdog parlays. We are 0-3 this season underdog parlays. Last year, we crushed it. And I think the luck's going to change. Putting 33K on Jacksonville adjusted line plus 7.5 with Carolina money line. That is uh, plus 302. Putting 33K on Jacksonville to beat the the Chargers and Detroit to beat Minnesota. Both those things have to happen. Plus 899, almost nine to one odds on that. And then last but not least, uh, Carolina to win, Detroit to win. And that is a crisp plus 582. So we're putting 33 in all three of these. And then last but not least, the Solak same game parlay. Mahomes to throw over 300 yards, Kelsey over 80 receiving yards and Chiefs minus five and a half. Five to one odds. So we're going to put 33K on that as well. We'll we'll see which one. FanDuel loves to boost. We lost our boost last week, but it was great value. Jefferson to score and the Vikings to win last week. They'll boost something again. I'll tweet about it uh, over the weekend and see what they boosted. But those are the million dollar picks for a very successful week three. All right. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to Peter Schrager. Thanks to Ben Solak. Thanks to Kyle Crane for producing. Thanks to Steve Cerruti and Dylan Berkey as well. And if you want to follow the uh, Celtics situation as it keeps developing over the weekend, check out Off the Pike with Brian Barrett. I will see you on this podcast on Sunday.